Well, they, they did say uh, that it is going to be fun and that we will not embarrass you. That is not true. There is probably a high probability there might be some embarrassment. It's going to be a good time. So I hope that uh, you check it out, throw your name in the hat, and just see what happens. So welcome back. Uh, we're glad to see you. Um, we are in our third week of our Take Heart series. And if you have not been here, let me just give you a quick recap. What got this series started was John 16, 33, where Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so we're diving into over in, in this series, like what does it mean to take heart? Uh, and, and so your, your uh, translation of the Bible may say, take courage. And so we've been talking about what is it, what is Christian courage? Why should we be courageous? And so last week, that's what we talked about. From the beginning of the, end, from the, beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, we see that God is about his business. And he is undefeated. And he is a warrior. He sent his warrior to come live our life and to die a death that we could not die, to be raised again, not just to forgive us and pay for our sin, but to defeat the enemy, to disarm him at the cross. The devil was publicly shamed at the cross, saying, this is your destiny, you are done. But the devil is not that smart. He knows the war is over, but he continues to battle thinking something may change. So let me pray for us as we get into this. God, thank you for uh, bringing every single person here tonight. Lord, I believe in divine appointments, and I believe that tonight you've brought people here to be set free. Um, and so, Lord, would you move in power? Uh, you, you tell us that, that you do not give us a spirit of timidity, um, but a, a spirit of power. Uh, and so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move tonight, that you would transform our hearts and our minds, that you would set the captives free, and that you would help us to be people who are courageous. In your son's name, amen. All right, so I wanted to kick off tonight by, by sharing a story of like a personal story of like a time when I, when I felt most courageous. And there's been multiple things in my life that I've done where I'm like, that was courageous. But very quickly, as I started thinking about like my actual life, there's one particular moment, or should I say evening, where I felt like that was probably peak courageousness for Andy. Let me take you back to eighth grade. I was probably about 80 pounds soaking wet, and I had a crush on this girl going on three years. All of middle school, and it was eighth grade dance time, and it was kind of like the graduation dance of eighth grade, and I'm like, man, I really want to go with this girl. And so I'm sitting at the kitchen table, and I've surrounded myself, or they have surrounded me, the counselors in my life, my mother and my older brother, who was a freshman in high school, so not that much older than me, but believed he had infinitely more wisdom than I did. And so he just conv they convinced me, like, hey, you, you, should, you should ask her to the dance. I'm like, okay, let's, I'll do it. So I go over to grab the phone, and this is gonna date me, but the phone was on the wall in the kitchen. And so any private conversation was in front of the entire house. That's why you had like 30-foot-long phone cords so you could walk into the other room behind, into a closet, right? And and so my brother goes, no, 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 Andy, no, don't call her. You need to go to her house. You need to go to her door. There's no way she'll say no then. And I was like, man, I don't know. That sounds terrifying. No one does that. He's like, that's why you should do it. No one else does that. So I'm like, okay, let's do, let's do it. So we, we go to the grocery store. I pick up a bouquet of flowers. We drive to her house. 
and we pull up in front of her house and the, the, the walkway from the street to her door looked like it was about 300 yards long. And I get out and I walk up to the door. It took me about 20 minutes. I'm shaking, my heart is pounding. And I ring the doorbell. I had my hand behind my back, you know, real proper like. I was like this. She answers the door. This is like 9 p.m. on a school night, so she is shocked to see my face. She's like, Andy, what are you doing here? And I said, would you go to the dance with me? <laughs> That's all, I, I, I didn't know what else to say. So she kind of gingerly takes the flowers, and she gives me the one answer that I had not prepared for. I had prepared for yes, and I had prepared for no. But she said, maybe. Little Andy didn't know what to do with that. It was not clear. If you've been to our dating series, she was not clear, okay? <laughs> that is very ambiguous. And I said, okay. And I went back to the car. And I drove home, we drove home. My mom was like, what'd she say? I was like, maybe. But I was courageous. I was scared. There was fear. But my desire... I thought, you know what? It is more worth it to try to go with her to the dance than to stay home in fear and not do anything. Now you're probably wondering what happened. Two days later, at school, now granted, everyone knows what I have done after two days. She walks up to me and she says, no, I'm not going to the dance with you. Oh. And then preceding that, or, or, or uh, after that, literally every girl in school came to be like, I'm so sorry, if you would have asked me, I would have said yes. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I picked the one girl that would say no. And, and then we went to the dance, and I was looking really good in a cardigan and some khakis with some pleateds, you know, and I was looking good. And the guy that she went with, his name was Paul, and he wore a Metallica t-shirt. And to this day, I don't get it. But I digress. So when we think about courage, what have we said the last two weeks? Courage is not the absence of fear, but the determination that something else is of greater worth than one's fear. And what was of greater worth to me was going to a dance with the girl I had a crush on. And so that moved me to move against my fear. And we all have things in our life that feel like that that keep us in the car staring at the house and not walking down the walk to the door, right? We just stay in there because we're fearful. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know how it's gonna turn out. So here's my question, and this is what I wanna talk about tonight. Last week we talked about this big 30,000 foot cosmic view of who God is and what he is doing, that he is a warrior and he is a fighter and he wins. I wanna bring it back down to our level tonight. And I wanna talk about how do we actually live courageously? What does personal courage look like and what are the fears that we are needing to overcome in order to live courageously? So let's not get mad or frustrated that we have fear or the things that we are fearful of. 
Instead, let's look at those things we are fearful of as an opportunity to be courageous, trusting God from beginning to end. So we're going to talk about personal courage tonight. And to do that, we're going to look at the, book of, the, the entire book of 1 Peter. We're not going to go through the whole book, but we're going to look through the whole book of 1 Peter. Because here's the deal. The apostle Peter, if I can think of any of the disciples that were courageous, it's Peter. Most of you or many of you know Peter because of his ultimate failure. He's the one that denied Christ three times. Jesus told him at the Last Supper, you are going to deny me three times before the crow uh, calls. He's like, never, I would never do that. What are you talking about? And sure enough, at just the mere idea of suffering, Peter wilts in the moment. He's too fearful. He's too fearful to be associated with Jesus for fear of suffering. And we see Peter, it, it, it's, it's with a, he's afraid of a 12-year-old girl. They're around a campfire, and she points to him and says, aren't you one of his disciples? He's like, no, I've never met them yet. I don't know who that is. And so we know Peter because of his failure. But in the book of 1 Peter, the letter that, that he's writing to the churches all across Asia you know what the main topic of 1 Peter is? Suffering. And so he's writing to these people, these Christians, of saying, this is how you live courageously in the face of suffering. And suffering can take many different kind of avenues. It can be literal suffering, like the people in biblical times were being killed for their faith. It could be grief. Someone has died or something, you've lost something. That's a, that's, a, that's a kind of suffering. Things aren't going the way you want them to or they're not the way they, you think they should be. Unmet expectations. Those are all types of suffering. So we're gonna look at Peter and his words. And to do this, we're gonna start at the end. In 1 Peter chapter five, we're gonna start at the end of the letter and we're gonna kind of work our way back to the beginning. Here's my challenge to you tonight. Before you go to bed tonight, read the entire book of 1 Peter. It's five chapters. It will literally take you 20 minutes. And read the words from beginning to end, the apostle Peter's encouragement to have courage in the midst of suffering. So let's start in 1 Peter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. This is the very end, the last paragraph. Peter writes this, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion, power forever. Amen. I have written to you briefly to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. He's writing people who are suffering. And he's, he's saying, the God of all grace will establish you, will support you, will strengthen you after you have suffered a little while, meaning God wins. And he says, this God of all grace, stand firm in the grace. And so what does Christian courage look like? My first point tonight is standing firm on grace. That's what it means. That's what it looks like is standing firm 
on grace and the, the fear that we're gonna, we're gonna fight here, the, the fear that is gonna well up within us when we, when we talk about standing firm in God and his grace is the fear that what if I'm wrong? What if God isn't who he says he is? What if I put all of my trust in him and he lets me down? That's the fear. Peter says, God of all grace, to him be dominion and power forever. And so how do you stand firm? How do we actually do this? I really don't think it's that difficult. We listen to his words and we look at his resume. We listen to his words and we look at his resume. You know, every once in a while, I'll have one of our young adults apply for a job or, or for school and they'll say, hey, Andy, can I use you as a reference? And if they've asked me that, that probably means that I know them or they at least believe and trust that I know them enough to vouch for them. And so when they call me or I fill out a form or whatever, I do that because I know who they are and I'm saying this person will be a fantastic employee for this reason, this reason, and this reason. I'm just vouching for their resume because I know them. I don't know just know about them. I've spent time with them. We've had coffee. We've had lunch. We've prayed together. We've worshiped next to each other, whatever it may be. Because here's the deal. What we know will drive what we believe and what we believe will determine our behavior. Let me say that again. What we know will determine what we believe. And what we believe will determine our behavior. I grew up getting it backwards. I thought, well, if I just behave a certain way, that will say that I believe. And once I believe, then I'll get to know God. That's backwards. And so the question then to us is, do we know God? Do we know the God of all grace? Do we know his character and his promises? Matt Chandler, a pastor that I enjoy listening to and reading, says it this way. This is fantastic. I love the way he, he words this. Grace, because grace has a voice, okay? And also Satan has a voice. And the voices do this. They're fighting all the time because they're coming from opposite places. This is, what, uh, this is what he writes. Grace says that there is nothing more you can do to earn God's love. And there is nothing you can do to lose it. When Satan says you are worthless, grace says you are infinitely valuable. When Satan says you're, uh, you're useless, grace says you are forgiven and useful. When Satan says you can't win, grace reminds us that Jesus has already won. And grace laughs in Satan's face because grace overcomes fear and grace breeds courage. You see, when you know the God of all grace, when those voices of fear come into your mind, which we all have a tape that rolls, that we listen to and we hear all the time, then we can say, does that sound like grace? Does that sound like the God of grace speaking to my fear? Or does that sound like the enemy who wants to steal, to kill, and destroy? We have to know who God is. So what do we do about this? This is a remix from two weeks ago. Determine to know the God of all grace. That's courageous. We know a lot of things. You could literally, we could, I, I know almost every line of the show from The Office by heart. I know those characters. 
If you give me a quote, I can tell you who said it because I've watched it that many times, all right? Who do you know? What do you know? What have you determined yourself to know? Because what you know will determine your belief and what you believe will determine your behavior. What you know, belief, behavior will form your life. It will set you on a trajectory for life. What you know is what you believe and what you believe is what you do. And so determine to know the Lord. Courage pursues an eternal perspective and looks like standing firm on grace. Let's continue. 1 Peter 5a, this is a famous passage. Peter writes this, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Christian courage, secondly, looks like joining the resistance. Christian courage looks like joining the resistance because here's the fear that we are facing when it comes to this. It is the fear that we are gonna lose out on something if we join the resistance. If we actually resist the devil, we will lose out. You might lose out on an invitation. You might lose out on a job. You might lose out on a promotion. You might lose out on a relationship. You might lose out. That's our fear. And so we compromise so we don't lose. You see, there is an enemy, and we talked about this last week. There is an enemy that is waiting and ready to ambush and devour because he hates you, and he hates me, and he wants to see you burn alongside him. And so, of course, he's going to prowl, and of course, he is going to ambush you. And so we are called by Peter here to be alert and sober-minded because there's a spiritual battle for souls happening in this world. You know, I'm of that age, I know the joke, but I'm of that age where I love World War II stuff, okay? I like the movies, I like to know the history of the battles, all that stuff. But World War II was when the entire European, all the countries were taken over by Nazis. But there was this group of people in every country, in every town, in every farmhouse, they were all over the place and they were referred to as the resistance. You see, they were living in an occupied territory, but they were resisting the enemy. I can read this verse and think resisting is just this defensive play. I'm like, I'm gonna be passive and defensive. I'm gonna resist. Oh, please, uh, whatever. No, 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 no. In World War II, the resistance ranged from non-cooperation, which is not doing what they're told to do, to propaganda, to hiding pilots who have crashed their airplanes, and even outright warfare and recapturing entire towns. You see, the, the resistance is an aggressive resistance. It is not, a, oh, I, God, would you just pray, would you just take this away from me? No, 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 we put the fight to the enemy. And Peter is saying, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by followers throughout the world. You see, we, re, we, we, we join the resistance because we, we need one another. I need you to fight alongside. 
We join the resistance so that we can give a defense for the hope that we have. So that we can say, this is why I'm a Christian. This is why I have put my hope in my life and I'm all in with Christ. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 3, 15. But to his audience, what is he talking about? You join the resistance to suffer well. He says, dear friends, in 1 Peter 4, 12, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Can we just be honest? The greatest fear that we have in our country is suffering and being uncomfortable. That is our greatest fear. Everything in our culture says, be comfortable. Everything in our culture says, if you are suffering, then something is wrong. Peter is saying, no, do not be surprised. It's coming. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes on you to test you as something, as if something unusual were happening. And this, this, this concept is not hard for us. Can we be honest? We know this concept. If you've ever been part of a group trying to accomplish something, you know that it is easier to get through the difficulty and the suffering together than by yourself. I guess I'll share this. I'll be honest with you. I hate working out with all of my being. But I need to do it. And then in the last year, my two favorite classes have been canceled at the YMCA. And I went from working out four times a week to once a week. And so I'm trying to get back into it. And so I go by myself because my calendar doesn't let me go to other stuff, right? And without fail, it's the most humbling realizations. I go, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do this by myself. Let's go. Let's, go. Let's get a good sweat on. Let's burn some calories. And literally, literally every time I start to sweat, I'm like, that's probably good. I'm probably good. My, you know, my, my, my exercise watch went off, so I'm good. I'm, I probably burned plenty of calories. It says I burned 60, but I was probably more like 600 probably, right? Like, like every time, every time. But when I go to a class, and there are 20 other people in there, I get through the entire thing without even stopping or thinking about stopping. Because Peter said, listen, we gotta do this together. Let's rejoice and share in the sufferings of Christ. We can walk out our faith better with one another. And so we join the resistance together. So what do we do with this? We find, you find your people and charge the hills of faith together. Don't go at it alone. Don't go at it alone. I got a great story. Week one of this series, so two, literally two weeks ago, we had a young lady come in here all by herself for the very first time. And I've asked her permission to share this story. Her name is Carrie. Um, and Carrie, I am so stinking proud of you. I don't know where you are. I've never met you, but I know your name and I know your story. She came in by herself to the gathering with 300 other young adults. She didn't know anybody. But she, she met one of our volunteers named Brittany. And Brittany sat next to her and they started a conversation and and she said, you know, how'd you get to the gathering? Why'd you come? And she said something effective like, hey, I just wanna, I wanna dig deeper into my faith. I wanna know God more this year. And Brittany's like, awesome, that, that's fantastic. I'm so glad you're here. Which is a whole other story, cool story about how God lined that relationship up. But, and so Brittany takes her back to the back table. She fills out a card and gets a t-shirt and on her way. She goes out to her car. 
And Brittany goes and continues to meet people and talk to people. Um, and then about 10 minutes later, she comes back in with tears coming down her face. And she walks back up to Brittany. And, she's, and, and Brittany's like, well, what, what's wrong? What's going on? And she said, will you help me grow in my knowledge and love of God this year? I'm just trying to be courageous. That's what she said. That takes courage. To not only show up by yourself and say, hey, I want to grow in my faith, but then you leave, sit in your car, and then come back in. And you go make a personal ask of someone, will you, not the gathering, not, not crossing, but will you, Brittany, will you help me know God better? Way to go, Carrie. Man, that's personal courage. That's personal courage. And we are all called to that in Christ. And we can do it together. Courage pursues awareness that there is a battle going on and it looks like joining the resistance. Stand firm. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Christian courage like, looks like choosing God's comfort over our escapism. Because the fear that we are overcoming here with Christian courage is actually facing the difficulty, dealing with the suffering, and getting into the pain. And letting God meet you in the pain and meet you in the suffering. Psalm 23 is one, maybe the most famous psalm. Do you know where the presence of God is in Psalm 23? It is in the valley of the shadow of death. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's not on the mountaintop. It's not, hey God, will you get me out of this so I will know your comfort because you have released me from this pain and this suffering and this difficulty. No, this, David says, it is in the valley where I am comforted by you. It's so much easier to self-medicate than to humble ourselves and walk with God through the valley, trusting him with your pain. What do I mean by self-medicate? I mean, it, I mean, it's a million different things. It's overworking so that you're, you're constantly busy so you don't have the time to actually think about what's going on. It's acting out sexually to, to, to distract yourself with pleasure instead of dealing with the pain and the suffering. It's running to substances to forget about it for a short period of time. It's putting up walls so that no one can get too close because they might see that you're a vulnerable, hurting person. We self-medicate. It's way easier. But what Peter's telling us, cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. That the God of the universe who has defeated death and defeated Satan cares for you. He knows you by name. And he cares for you. I love that Peter's the one telling us this. Of all the people that is talking about the fact that God cares for you, it's Peter. The one who betrayed Jesus and turned his back on him and did the very thing that Peter said he would never do. It's Peter that says, bring everything to the Lord because he cares for you. 
and let him comfort you in the valley of the shadow of death. And so what do we do with this? We turn to God, his word, and his people in the midst of suffering and pain. We don't turn to, to the escapism. We don't turn to, to, to doom scrolling. We, we, don't, we don't do that. We turn back to God. We say, God, this is who I am. This is what's going on. Why do I feel this? Why am I experiencing this? God, I bring it to you. And we do it together. We go to God, we go to his word, and we bring in his people. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm going through something hard, it's a whole lot better to go with that, go through that valley with other believers who are not necessarily feeling what you're feeling and they can strengthen you and they can remind you and they can be that voice of grace to stand firm on. Courage pursues comfort in God and it looks like peace in the midst of pain. Lastly, in 1 Peter chapter one, verse 13, Peter says this, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have had when you lived in ignorance. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And so lastly tonight, Christian courage looks like pursuing personal holiness. You wanna talk about doing something hard? It's pursuing personal holiness in a world and a culture of debauchery. They don't just invite us and we, our culture celebrates it. Our, our, our culture sells it and can, tries to convince you if you have not partaken, then you are less of a human being because of it. Peter's saying, pursue holiness because God is holy. And the fear that we're dealing with here Man, it's just the fear of missing out. It's FOMO, that's what it is. It's just, well, what, what if, if I don't get to experience that? Well, I'm missing out on life. And really, what's behind that? What's behind that is the original temptation from in the Garden of Eden that God is withholding goodness from you. That God is really not who he says he is and he cannot be trusted because you're gonna miss out if you pursue holiness. That's the fear. Is it not? Like, I know that. I remember feeling that. Well, if I don't get to invited to that, I'm going to miss out. Well, what are they doing at that party? Where are they going to go tonight? What's going to be, what's the content of that show and that movie? Well, I'm not going to watch it because I want to pursue holiness in my life. As Christians, we learned last week that we are citizens of a new kingdom, which means we live differently. That word holy simply means set apart. It means the, the opposite of holy is common. Everybody does it. Nothing special about it. It's common. Jesus said, in my kingdom is a kingdom of holiness, so let's be set apart. Let's be uncommon. In 1 Peter 4, I love this, verse 3, Peter says this, for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. 
Right? There, there, there's, there's enough time for that. Carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. And, and they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living. And they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Whew. He's like, man, how much porn do you need, dude? Let it go. Like, is it gonna do something for you this time that it didn't do the last 20,000 times? Let's move into holiness and see what God wants to do. Let's set you free from the enslavement that you're living in. That you think just going back to that thing, back and, and returning and returning, that sometime it's, something's gonna be different. Peter says, no, 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 be holy as the one who has called you and saved you and redeemed you is holy. We talked about this last spring in our soul care series that sin, the reason we, we live holy lives or we pursue that is because sin is killing you. It is disintegrating your soul. Meaning if, if God is this way and sin is the opposite, that when we are trying to pursue both things, it is disintegrating us. It's ripping us from the inside out. That's why you feel the way you do. That's why when we are pursuing this, we feel distant from him. It's not because he has moved, it's because we have moved away towards common. And so my question then was, why would we entertain ourselves? Why would we distract ourselves or celebrate or pursue the very things Jesus came to destroy and to die for? The very thing that he went to the cross to forgive, why would we celebrate that? Why would we fill our entertainment hours with things that Christ came to destroy? 1 Peter 2.11, he writes, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. <laughs> Abstain from the sinful desires that are waging war against you. So here's what we do. We wage war on what is waging war against us. That's what we do. We don't just resist and be like, oh, please stop. No, we take the fight to the enemy. And so a step of courage tonight might look for you like cutting out some friends in your life that you know are constantly leading you back to the very thing that is disintegrating your soul. It might look like leaving your phone at work or in the car at night so that it's not, a, it's not even an option. It might look like leaving the relationship that you are currently in that you just can't get out of because we just keep going back to what is common or it might just look like letting someone into your life and saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm enslaved to. Would you help me get free? Courage looks like ceasing to manage your sin and instead putting it to death. That's courageous. It takes courage to stop managing and hiding it and trying to control it so that it doesn't overtake you and say, I'm... Screw that. It doesn't work. Willpower is a myth. And we say, no, we're going to go to war on this. 
and we're gonna pursue personal holiness. I'll, let me just finish tonight by telling you what we do with this from a personal standpoint. In my life, what we do is we take the courageous step of confessing and repenting. Now, there are probably some of hearts in here that are like, ooh, ugh, no. That was me for over a decade. You see, I thought confession was something that bad people do, not save people. And I was a good Christian kid. I did all the right things that people saw. But then I went to college, and I got addicted to pornography, and I knew I shouldn't do it. I knew I shouldn't look at it, but it, I was hooked. I was enslaved to it, and I didn't know what to do until, for the first time in my life, the Holy Spirit convicted me to the point where I had to, I had to reach out and confess to someone. Not because I got caught, because I wanted to be set free. And the greatest conversation I've ever had in my life was that conversation. It was the scariest. I, I built up a story in my head that I was gonna be rejected. My reputation was down the tubes. It wasn't gonna happen for me. My life was gonna be screwed up the rest of my, like all the lies were coming. But there was something I wanted greater than to be stuck in sin. I wanted freedom. And Jesus says in Luke four, I have come to set the captives free. And what we do, we step into a courageous faith move and we confess sin and we say, this is who I am. This is what's got its hooks in me and I can't get out. Help. And then we walk together in repentance, which simply means we turn together from this and we go this way to holiness and we say, God, we wanna walk in obedience because that's where life is. John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. Life and life to the full is a free life, not an enslaved life. The enemy, however, comes to steal and to kill and to destroy you. That is enslavement. And so be set free. Choose to be courageous, to get over the fear of rejection, for get over the fear of your reputation, get over the fear and say, I'm going to step in to confession and repentance. Because in 1 John 1, 9, John the apostle says, if you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you get forgiveness and you get cleansed. You get, it's called unburdening yourself. And then, and this is the part that I avoided like the plague. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other, and here's the kicker, and you will be healed. You see, I was walking around a long time forgiven and cleansed, but I was walking around wounded. Wasn't healed, because I was still hiding. And I just thought I could do it myself. And so from my personal experience, I implore you, I encourage you to be courageous and step into a regular rhythm of confession and repentance. It is the single healthiest thing that I could tell you to do as a follower of Jesus. Courage pursues holiness and looks like confession and repentance. So this is where we've been tonight. Christian courage looks like standing firm on grace, joining the resistance, choosing God's comfort over my own, and pursuing personal holiness. So what do we do with that? Simply, 
we determine to know the God of all grace. Then you find your people and charge the hills of faith together. Turn to God, his word, and his people, and then take the courageous steps into confession and repentance. When I had that conversation, the response that I got blew me away. I wasn't received with judgment. I wasn't received with shame. I wasn't received with how could you? I can't believe you would do that. I was received with, man, I'm so proud of you. Let's do this together. And let's pursue the Lord together. Because Christ has come to set you free. He didn't just come to win the cosmic war. He came to win you. And so how do you need to be courageous tonight? Here's what I'm gonna do. We're gonna leave these on the screen as we go into our 120 seconds. And here's what I wanna ask you to do. I want you to ask, I don't want you to think about it. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind where you need to be courageous. Maybe it's just an, I'm gonna start reading my Bible. Good for you. Maybe it's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring other people into my pain and suffering because I need help. Good for you. Maybe you need to confess sin and unburden yourself that you may be healed with another person. Man, let's go. Why would you walk out of here still enslaved? Walk out of here free tonight. But ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what would you have me step with courage in? And then when he brings it to mind, because I believe that he maybe already has, that he will do that because he's about setting the captives free. So why would he not tell you? And then ask him for the boldness and the courage to take a step of obedience. Let me pray. God, thank you for the encouragement of Peter. God, we may know Peter because of his failure, but you are the God of redemption and you are the God of restoration. You are the God of forgiveness. And so we read Peter's words tonight because he has been redeemed and he has been forgiven and he was now will, a willing sufferer for his savior. God, would you strengthen us to suffer well for the sake of Christ, whether that's friendships or someday in this culture being called evil because of our faith. Lord, would you strengthen us individually and collectively that we would take heart because you have overcome the world. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you speak to each person here tonight and show them, Lord, where they need to step out in courage and take heart and trust you? In your son's name, amen.